Hope everybody has enjoyed the first couple of episodes. I think we got a pretty big one coming up in episode three. Uh, we have a, a guest. Actually, you know what? Let's just go ahead and uh, we, we can just get started. So uh, thank you to everybody for joining. This is our first of a series of talks that we're doing. This is the Rings of Power Reddit talk for episodes one and two, featuring Sophia Nomvetti and our co-host, Nerd of the Rings. Nerd, if you just want to say hi and uh, introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. I'm, uh, as Varking said, my name is Matt from Nerd of the Rings, um, which is a YouTube channel that covers all things Tolkien. And then for the other folks that we have up here, uh, System, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm another moderator here on uh, on the subreddit. I'm very excited for today. It's it's so great to see so many people joining. We've got an excellent guest today and an excellent guest host, so I'm very excited. Loretti, if you would like to introduce yourself to the folks. Yeah, hello. I'm Loretti TV. You might have seen me around. I'm a moderator on subreddit. Excited for the talk today. Really excited for Sophia. Appreciate her time and her uh, performance so far. And whole nother, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, folks, I'm another moderator on uh, LOTR on Prime. Uh, very happy to be here. And uh, just in the in the pregame talk that we got everybody's mic set up and the, the energy and uh, the great questions coming to you all from our hosts and uh, and. Uh, Sophia, I think you're really going to enjoy what, what we're able to do for y'all here this morning or afternoon, depending on where you are. And then not to have her last or building up too much hype, but uh, our special guest is Sophia Novetti, a.k.a. Princess Ditsa, maybe even future queen of Casa Doom. Sophia, how are you today? I'm really good, guys. Hello. A big, big, big hi there. Um, thank you so much for having me. What an honor to to start all of this off and to be here. Um, I'm so grateful to everyone who is moderating and has set this up. And of course, all, all of the um, the audience that we have today. It's a pleasure, uh, uh, my pleasure. So thank you for having me. <laughs> now, uh, I guess we could just kind of get right into it. We came up with a list of questions uh, that we're hoping to get some answers for the community. Uh, Matt, if you want to kick us off and go ahead and hit her with that first one. Yeah, I'll hit her with the first question here. Um, so, Sophia, thanks so much again for uh, for joining us today. Um, so first question is, what makes dwarves special in Middle-earth? We obviously know they're good smiths and builders and delvers, um, but what do they bring to the table that no one else does? That's such a great question. I think that um, aside, obviously, as you've said, to the many skills that they have, they are a, a tour de force of heart uh, and strength and loyalty. And of course, at this point in our story in the Second Age, power. Um, I think the way that they show their emotions and receive emotions is completely extreme and accessible and open and so whatever they feel if they're frustrated as you as you've seen they're kind of mm -hmm. smashing rocks and if they love <laughs> they are like embracing and hugging and crushing bones maybe a little bit I just think 
the extent that they go to to um, show their passion, hold their passion um, and look after their kingdom and their people is is so admirable and so heartfelt. Um, I also feel like they're a re- really kind of working class culture. They know how to roll up their sleeves and get the job done, whoever they are, wherever they are. There is... Um, an equality and a sense of pride um to them and and yeah i i just think that they are yeah a stunning culture and mm. yeah they're great <laughs> well uh so kind of going along with that essence who is disa like specifically who was she before marrying duran and what made her most attracted to the absolute stud that he is <laughs> a study is a study definitely is um princess dc you know as you know there isn't um uh, a massive amount of, of of text on on the female dwarfs and certainly not of course princess dc is is beautifully created um for this story and so we had to delve into a medley of, of Tolkien's brilliant dwarven works and infrastructure and also put a sense of our own kind of magic when when deciding on her, actually. Um, and I'd say, so we, before before this, she comes from, you know, she, she's obviously a, a, a dwarf and she comes from um, a line that is economically not necessarily um high status but she has this gift and that always put her in the forefront of the eyes of the dwarven race i think um her gift is resonating and so she is able to literally communicate with the stones and the earth and the materials around her and we believe that gift was passed down um through her mother and she has this and she was always celebrated for that and respected for that and so she was in a position where as you'll see if you, you know she kind of tells a bit of the story in in, in act two as we meet her she she came to do some resonating um you know uh, uh, within this kingdom and very close to to doing for for the royals and he he met her once in that in that situation and she um he, I think, I think his eyes and his ears may, may have pricked up a little bit. And I think she saw something in him. I believe that she has the power to see past what's in front of her. Always. It's, it's, it's another one of her many gifts that she has. She, she sees through, in, around, uh, peripherally. She's, she's, she's a real kind of beacon of, of, of light and spirit. And so I think when she saw him and the way he, he was quite coy, like he wasn't very forthcoming about it. And I think that alone showed her how this, you know, formidable character who's usually kind of so able to communicate was kind of silenced by his feelings for her. And so I think she saw that and thought, and of course his gorgeous, handsome, dwarven strength and all of the rest of it and thought, yeah, this is the guy for me. Now, speaking of Kaza Doom, um, I this was one of the things that I was most looking forward to when they announced that the show was going to take place in the second age, like to see Casa Doom full of life and mm. just at the height of its power, because we obviously in Lord of the Rings see it when it's, you know, a wasteland, basically mm, yeah. post-apocalyptic for them. Um, so it was it was very satisfying for for me to see i've i've seen near universal praise of how amazing casa doom looks oh, that's um brilliant 
so we we get to see it here full of life and light and um we're curious what interesting details in the design of the city might we have missed well i think what you would have um certainly seen i don't think you can miss it is the intricacy of the angles you know and 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 the lines the dimensions nothing nothing is just is just for the sake of it or to look pretty but all of those kind of lines are actually there's kind of a crevice to them and there's kind of a groove in them which through all the mountains and stone lets kind of potential liquid forces whether it be like um uh, the water or any materials that are soft just run through so we kind of have this this constant stone and angle but 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 areas where there's a little bit of light being able to to come through to shine through for us um and one thing in the home which i'm actually not sure that we ever see i think we might see it for a hair's breadth hopefully not doing any spoilers here but within our home there was a shrine um there's there's this shrine that Disa and Durin and her whole household her whole family kind of speak to and connect with um and every day when we walk in into the home we greet that shrine um and we thank uh Aule and all the spirits of the Dwarven Kingdom for looking after us and getting us through another day so and I think you will see that at a hair's breadth at some point so oh, that's, that, that's a lovely little detail it's beautiful beautiful because we felt like we kind of always ended up when we came on set kind of looking to that and and saluting it it became part of us as much as our characters which was stunning well speaking of beautiful and stunning and blessings from ally we hear you singing beautifully in a plea to the rocks on the soundtrack and the concept of resonating is really intriguing for most folks is there any chance with Bear McCreary dropping these episodic albums, is there any chance we can get to hear you uh, on the soundtrack again in the future? <laughs> I hope so. I really, really hope so. Um, you know, the, the resonating feels like it's something, again, like a, a real stunning and amazing and actually a, a trait that was found along the way, um, discovered along the way, but it is about empowerment. It is about finding your voice. It is about a voice that I believe we all have. Um, the entire kingdom of Middle Earth and of course our Earth um, have within us uh, a voice that sits within the depths of our soul. And the only challenge we have is to access it. And Deesa's gift is that she has found it and she has accessed it. Um, and it literally moves mountains as every single one of us, particularly the dwarfs are able to do if we find that voice. And so it's a very special gift of hers because I think it can ripple effect to all of us and speak to and um, uh, resonate, <laughs> excuse the pun, um, in, in all of us to, to be able to find that. And so I really hope that there is more of that to be seen. I'm quietly confident but I, I neither heard nor saw anything. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of things that uh, hopefully there's more to be seen, the um, the scene of you and Owain and Robert is <laughs> is one of my favorites. And I love, you know, wow. like, like I said, you know, before we, we went live here, um, the back-to-back of we've got the scene of Robert and Owain where we find out why Durin's mad. And then we come right after that with the scene that introduces us to Disa. And I just, I just love 
that scene and the interplay between the three of you. Um, now, were those the uh, we obviously meet your character there, but was that actually the first scene that you filmed on set? That was our first scene. It was. was, I'm not sure that that was Robert's, but it was definitely mine and Owain's. It was mine and Owain's first scene, but I think it was, uh, I think Rob may have shot something else before. I might be making that up. Don't quote me on that. But um, it was certainly my my first scene. Um, It was the opening. It was the entrance into Middle Earth. It was the first time that we walked on set and people saw us in our full costume. It was the moment where we connected and we never looked back. Um, That scene was rehearsed a million times leading up to shooting um, in hotel rooms with coffee and plates of food. You know that hug that Mm -hmm. that happens between Elrond and I? Yes. That hug was created on a chair in the hotel that we were staying at and we read through it and we thought, okay, there's kind of a hug here, it looks like, but... (laughs) Or is there, or is that just a thing? Or, and we we rehearsed that hug, and and Rob stood on a on a on a chair, <laughs> and I just I went in for the kill, and I remember thinking, oh no, it's too much, and El, and and Rob just said, you're a dwarf, it's never too much, <laughs> <laughs> and so and so that 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 hug was born, and and so every single look, every moment, every death stare that that Owain gets that that uh, <laughs> that Julian gets was kind of this this loving concoction of our friendship that was played out in any spot we could find over the course of actually nearly a year so that scene is incredibly special to us because it's the three of us and it always was the three of us through many through all of our journey leading up to the first day of filming so um, I'm so glad that that kind of radiates and people seem to be receiving it quite well because it's very close to our hearts for, for many reasons. Well, that's that's one trio, but I'm going to ask you a question about sort of a, a, a different group of three almost. You and Owine, as Duran and Disa, have a mixture of both serious and lighthearted moments that we've been able to see. Right. And on the flip side, though, his, his daddy, Peter Mullen as Duran Third, is coming across as extremely serious so far. And the idea behind Durin's is that they show some similar characteristics. So how similar would Disa view the two Durin's and how would she say she thinks they're the most different as well? I think that's a great question. Um, I think that the sense of loyalty and pride to the culture is the same. Their sense of secrecy, their, um, and I hate to speak for Owen, I'm pretty sure he would agree, Um, uh, or Peter, in fact, but I think their sense of of tradition, um, their sense of of protecting the kingdom through secrecy and holding cards close to the chest and trusting no one is kind of where they're they're quite similar. Um, Also, their kind of stubbornness and quite grumpy tendencies can I say grumpy <laughs> I should never call Peter Mullen grumpy he's an absolute delight in real life but um but that kind of hard nature I think is is they definitely have similarities in, in that sense which are also brilliant traits you know they've product they've protected us thus far and 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 so um I get it in a lot of ways but I think the way that they differ is that um Durin 
doing the fourth is a little bit more open to the potential of other ways of our king, uh, other ways of this kingdom moving forward. I think um, Durin the Third is very stuck in in the kind of history of, of of what of what we've built and how we've built it, and staying within that kind of format. And I think Durin is open. He he is just his eyes are wavering to the potential of allyships and opening in and letting in and coming out and and I think he that's why we kind of see him um yeah he's he's easily kind of softened by Disa whereas I think Durin the third is immovable so uh speaking of Disa and her husband um Mm. they kind of have this dynamic between them that I think uh many people hope for or even see in their own relationships I know particularly the moment where they go back and forth. He's staying, he's leaving, he's staying. (laughs) Um, You've gotten dagger eyes before, Matt? (laughs) Um, Not as, I, maybe on rare occasions, but yeah, you definitely have those moments where, where your, uh, your argument is, is very simply put, (laughs) there's no budging. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so, so you get a sense that they, they tease each other, but they also support one another um so was i'm curious how was that all in the script when it was handed to you or or like you mentioned with the hug is that something that you you guys kind of came up with on yourself on your own i i think that the essence of um i think that the essence of of doing indisa was always that it was a good marriage that it was a good solid united marriage but i think the finesses and I think the level of chemistry that you see and the little looks or there were definitely changes in the lines and the script as the showrunners got to lovely JD and Patrick got to know us um, and not only got to know us as individuals but got to know Owain and Sevilla as a unit because um, Owain and I are incredibly close um, I'll never say this in front of them I'll never compliment them like this in front of him obviously so this is all our secret <laughs> but he um is an absolute delight he is a talent and um a friend and he cares for me deeply as i do him and and he cares about our story and and we're so united and i think the depth of that um unfolded as we as we got to know each other and and then reflected into the script i think jd and patrick saw moments and thought that has to go in and there was moments where we could improvise and, and play around they were so open and so um during the during and decent you see that marriage <laughs> i don't look at him like that always i have looked at him like that a few times though when he's been in a, oh the first day that we shot that dinner scene was the first time that he's in that costume and so he couldn't eat or in fact move very well and he i've never seen him so grumpy and i was eating a big tank um wrap at the time and he could barely eat nuts and he was getting all grisly and so i did give him that death stare once um <laughs> but yeah i think the script and the moment certainly evolved over time as owen and i's friendship evolved and grew over time um and it's so lovely because i think tolkien has these i mean tolkien the, the legendarium the stories the movies the everything it's so epic it's so epic and so brilliant and i think there is something really beautiful and grounded and um, about this relationship and this marriage and how 
how much they look after each other and how their love runs so deeply and, and that domesticity relatable for audiences you know something to cling on to that we recognize from home um I think to start there knowing where we're going is just such an exciting such an exciting thing because whilst we possess so much strength and magic we also possess you know great culinary skills and um we're able to kind of slap a big kiss on each other now and again which is so much fun it's great you were talking about how um, during the fourth is a little bit more open than during the third, potentially. But the right. dwarves as a whole seem pretty shut off from the rest of the world. So how yeah. much are you guys and gals as dwarves aware of what's going on outside of your walls? Well, I think, well, uh, I mean, the second age is a period where elves and dwarves are trading a lot. Um uh, you know that Eregion is geographically pretty much sitting on top of of of, of Moria of Khazad Doom, so we definitely have some dealings with the outside world, and so um, and I think that whilst they are secretive and they keep everything so close to their um, so close to their chests and within the walls of 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 their kingdom, I would say definitely for for Deesa and dwarves like her. Um, it would be it would be nuts not to keep a kind of ear on the ground to what's going on in the outside world it we, we i think we sense very well we have that kind of sense and i think there's always a little peephole within the walls of Khazad Doom, Doom where we can look out and just double check what the the surroundings are doing so i would say yes while they're very inside they they for their own protection and and and, and they definitely step outside to um to check that that everything's in in good nick so to speak and speaking of the outside world, we, we obviously see Elrond is coming to Khazad-dûm because the elves have a task of building this forge for Celebrimbor. And, you know, we get the hint that Elrond is thinking the dwarves can help them in that. Mm. Um, so he's coming for assistance. So from a dwarf standpoint, you know, if if he's looking to hire some dwarves, what could they possibly offer in exchange for dwarven help? What what would a dwarf want from an elf? I think, I mean, as I said, we're right in the middle of of, of, of a reasonably polite trading um, uh, kind of dynamic at the moment. So right. uh, the elves, obviously, they they try to protect everything. They love. They are so connected are in love and uh, with the natural world. Um, and so I think there are materials that the elves could offer from a kind of materialistic standpoint, i.e. the wood, trees, etc. But I think for Deesa, and this speaks to Deesa, I think, is potential allyship. And that's what I mean about seeing outside of the kind of traditions. I mean, as we know, like historically, the dwarves and elves do not get on. But I think she sees something. She knows something. And I think allyship could be a key. They are an incredibly powerful, formidable, stunning race. And I think I am not the only dwarf who kind of sees that and thinks, hold on a minute, if we dare, if we dare to dream outside of our fears, there could potentially be a time where the elves could be useful to us. Sorry, I was uh, handling some business behind the scenes. Um, so 
we're we're getting towards the end here, but do you have a favorite moment on set, or was there anything that surprised you to learn about, like specifically your character, your role, the world, or like about the dwarves itself? Was there something that kind of surprised you? Oh my goodness, I would. I think one one thing that I learned actually in in some of my research and actually and speaking to a few people is is obviously um um the connection that the dwarves have and you know uh, with Aule their god who essentially created them made them and I also read about Ivana his wife and it dawned it, it felt like it dawned on me that actually Durin and Disa kind of feel like an extension of that and they are such powerful forces that uh, as in um Ivana and, and Aule that I thought how amazing that actually without knowing, because I learned that piece of information admittedly a little bit later down the line. And I thought, how amazing that they weirdly seem to be looking after us and influencing us even when we don't know it, um, even when I didn't even realize it. And as soon as I started reading, I was like, hold on a minute, wait a minute, there is so much of us, Duda and Adisa, in this. And, 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 and so that kind of, yeah, I would say that those kind of findings were... Oh, they were just like beacons of light, like piercing through um, my story and our story and, and, and my love for this, that wherever you turn, there is a moment, there is Tolkien feeding us, whether we see it or not. Um, it was the stepping stones that we have, particularly in the second age, there is so much that we are able to, that, that Tolkien, I was saying to you guys earlier, that Tolkien invites us to use our imagination. There are 17 versions of what we could, of what we could do in certain areas that he hasn't kind of finished. And I, I just feel in my heart that he did that on purpose because he wanted us to have, he wanted every person to have their own version of events. And I feel like the most exciting times were deciding where we go, deciding what we do and using what we know, using the definitive law um, in moments where we can, but also marrying that with the gaps that he gives us and igniting our own Tolkienian imagination to kind of to kind of fill those. And I would say one of the most, the dinner scene was probably, was, as I said, a really special moment for me. And I think the scene that I think you will have seen clips of in trailers at this point, um, the lament of where she sings out to the mountains was it changed me. It changed me. Um, and it moved me. And I think for a moment, it stopped time. And actually, um, you'll see that, that, that it's it's a live performance. Um, it's completely live. And nobody that is in that scene had heard it before they heard it for the first time when I was playing the scene. So that was, it was quite a special time for sure. Now, Sophia, obviously one of the fun things about the show and the series format where we get, you know, kind of cliffhangers at each at each uh, break is theorizing. And um, I have my theories, but um, what's in the box at the end of episode two? Theorize away, my friend. Theorize away. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the reveal. Enjoy figuring out all of the possibilities and I will leave it right there <laughs> you don't want me to tell you you don't because it'll completely spoil when you see it it's incredible well 
Sophia, on behalf of uh, everybody on the mod staff here, uh, the, the greater community at large, fellowship of fans, everybody's been very big fans of the work you guys have done in episodes one and two, but the standout performance of the dwarves and of the dwarves, your performance itself. They, I've, my notifications have been blowing up during this talk about how much people have appreciated your take on this character in this universe. And, and it means a lot to have you guys absolutely killing it right now. I just want to thank you for your time on behalf of the community. I've met you. You're an absolute delight and warm person and you give amazing hugs and uh, <laughs> I wish nothing but the best for you. You've got a lot of success coming your way and just thank you so much for taking the time to stop by our little cubby on the internet here at LOTR on prime. And uh, just thank you for spending your time here today. Oh my goodness. I'm going to take my interview hat off now and I'm going to speak from the heart when I say you have no idea how much you guys mean to me. You have no idea. This is We are so desperately passionate about this work. This is not just, oh, we're doing a bit of Lord of the Rings. We are immensely um, passionate fans. We care. And we love you guys so much. You inform us. This is not us and the fans or the or the people have known it before we are one community i look to you i see you i hear you i listen to everything that you say you teach me you inform me you inspire me um truly thank you so much for your support i have been so desperate to do a good job and 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 to do you guys all so proud so to hear that there is even one person that appreciates this performance and this time is all of the resonating and music to my ears that I need. You are so wonderful. Every time I, I meet you guys, wherever I am in the world, I just feel like I'm being held up and empowered by your brilliance and your kind nature. So thank you for having me today. Um, uh, barking even an even bigger hug if you can take it when I see you next time. And uh, thank you so much for being here for me and, and of course on this call. I adore you. It's all for you. Thank you. <laughs>